Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 6, Chapter 7. Pierre seems to be unwilling... Sorry. Pierre seems to be an unwilling participant in many of his life's milestones. He didn't want Count Bezikov's money. He didn't exactly choose to marry Helena. He wasn't trying to lead the Masons. What does this say about Pierre? Is this character trait detail important? It's a good question and a good observation. Uh, Pierre plans to reform his Petersburg Masonic group and blames Russian political life when he says, we are severely hindered by existing political institutions. What is Pierre getting at here? What does he want to reform in society? How are those political institutions getting in the way? Thoughts in general with this. I think the first of those life changes those unwanted ones, Count Bezikov's money being inherited, um, kind of triggered the rest of them. You know, the reason he married Helena, even though he didn't really want to or choose to, was because of that money. The reason he led the Masons, even though he didn't really choose to, was because of that money. I think being so wealthy uh, and sort of, you know, he's a bit clueless. Um is what has put him in this position where sort of everyone has these ideas for him and he just goes along with them. Pythagorean Bean Bean says, but in these great undertakings we are severely hindered by existing political institutions while talent and virtue are fostered and deserving persons raised from the dust and united with our brotherhood. Sounds like Pierre adopted some of Speransky's views wherever he went abroad. Maybe he went back to France. And it's no wonder... So many of the Masons got mad about this, promoting, off of merit, steals, positions from the aristocracy, which these people rely on for public standing and power for them and for their children. It's a big call for someone who inherited their money to come in and say people should be promoted off merit rather than aristocracy. Uh, Pythagorean being says, when all was plunged in darkness, exhortation was of course sufficient in itself. The novelty of truth gave her a special power. But in this day and age, we need far more powerful methods. Nowadays, a man guided by his senses needs to find virtue sensually attractive. This quote reminds me of what Bertrand Russell said about theology. He says, it induces a dogmatic belief that we have knowledge where in fact we have ignorance. Theology gives answers to questions beyond the ascertainable, and this started to make people sceptical. The novelty of truth gave her a special power, but modern minds give scepticism to this truth, so passion and belief in their purpose must be used as motivation. You've tied my brain in a knot, well done. M-C says, It's frustrating seeing Pierre do everything in life half-assed. I don't know if it's because of his outsider status earlier in life or some other factor, but he just seems to have no follow-through. His go-with-the-flow personality is maturing into a failure to launch. Pierre Bezikov, the original slacker, TM. <laughs> is he a slacker? I don't know if slacker's the word, uh... Like, he's out there giving it a go. He's just... He kind of doesn't have his own... Um, I was going to say willpower, but that's not really it. It's like he doesn't have his own... He's, he's, 
his trajectory is too easily influenced. I don't know what, there's a word I'm looking for. Um, War and Kavafifi, my computer delinking, uh, says, it's frustrating seeing Pierre do everything in life half-assed. I was trying to put my frustrations with Pierre into words this morning, but I just couldn't figure out the right way to phrase it concisely. This sums it up perfectly. I feel Pierre almost doesn't know what he wants, so he just paints with a wide brush until something clicks. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, Much of Pierre's diatribe either went over my head or just seemed like buzzwords. But when he started talking about one world government, well, yeah, that that will ruffle some feathers, some serious feathers. It's interesting to put all this in the context of, like, Russia, uh, well, uh, you know, 150 years later, with um, all, you know, their communism and everything, which I don't know much about. But it's just interesting to sort of know where they ended up with all these conversations about who should have the power, um, workers, serfs, aristocracy, that kind of thing. Um, in fact, it would be interesting to go from Napoleon trying to come into the place with his, you know, philosophy of democracy and liberty, which kind of, you know, is, I feel like uh, the American and in much respects the Australian political system kind of came out of Napoleon, what he did, you know. And I'm not knowledgeable enough to really, like, say more than that. But it seems, you know, like that was kind of part of the foundation of the uh, economic system we have. Um, And then Russia went a very different way. And it'll be kind of interesting to sort of, from a very high level, categorize all that and make sense of it. If anyone's smart enough to do that, an Eli 5 from Napoleon to America today and Russia today. That'd be interesting. I'd read that. Uh, Anyway, I'm clearly in over my head. I don't know what I'm talking about. So let's just keep reading. Let's read chapter eight. It goes like this. Again, Pierre was overtaken by the depression he so dreaded. For three days after the delivery of his speech at the lodge, he lay on a sofa at home receiving no one and going nowhere. It was just then that he received a letter from his wife, who implored him to see her, telling him how grieved she was about him and how she wished to devote her whole life to him. At the end of the letter, she informed him that in a few days she would return to Petersburg from abroad. Following this letter, one of the Masonic brothers, whom Pierre respected less than the others, forced his way in to see him, and turning the conversation upon Pierre's matrimonial affairs, by way of fraternal advice, expressed the opinion that his severity to his wife was wrong and that he was neglecting one of the first rules of Freemasonry by not forgiving the penitent. At the same time, his mother-in-law, Prince Vasily's wife, sent to him, imploring him to come, if only for a few minutes, to discuss a most important matter, 
Pierre saw that there was a conspiracy against him and that they wanted to reunite him with his wife, and in the mood he then was, this was not even unpleasant to him. Nothing mattered to him. Nothing in life seemed to him of much importance, and under the influence of the depression that possessed him, he valued neither his liberty nor his resolution to punish his wife. No one is right, and no one is to blame, so she too is not to blame, he thought. If he did not at once give his consent to a reunion with his wife, it was only because in his state of depression he did not feel able to take any step. Had his wife come to him, he would not have turned her away. Compared to what preoccupied him, what Sorry, compared to what preoccupied him, was it not a matter of indifference whether he lived with his wife or not? Without replying either to his wife or his mother-in-law, Pierre, late one night, prepared for a journey and started for Moscow to see Joseph Alexevich. This is what he noted in his diary. Moscow, 17th of November. I have just returned from my benefactor and hastened to write down what I, I have experienced. Joseph Alexevich is living poorly and has for three years been suffering from a painful disease of the bladder. No one has ever heard him utter a groan or a word of complaint. From morning till late at night, except when he eats his very plain food, he is working at science. He received me graciously and made me sit down on the bed on which he lay. I made the sign of the knights of the east and of Jerusalem, and he responded in the same manner, asking me with a mild smile what I had learned and gained in the Prussian and Scottish lodges. I told him everything as best I could, and told him what I had proposed to our Petersburg lodge, of the bad reception I had encountered, and of my rupture with the brothers. Joseph Alexevich, having remained silent and thoughtful for a good while, told me his view of the matter which at once lit up for me my whole past and the future path I should follow. He surprised me by asking whether I remembered the threefold aim of the order. One, the preservation and study of the mystery. Two, the purification and reformation of oneself for its reception. And three, the improvement of the human race by striving for such purification which is the principal aim of these three, certainly self-reformation and self-purification. Only to this aim can we always strive independently of circumstances, but at the same time, just this aim demands the greatest efforts of us, and so, led astray by pride, losing sight of this aim, we occupy ourselves either with the mystery, which in our impurity we are unworthy to receive, or seek the reformation of the human race while ourselves setting an example of baseness and profligacy. Illuminism is not a pure doctrine just because it is attracted by social activity and puffed up by pride. On this ground, Joseph Alexevich condemned my speech and my whole activity, and in the depth of my soul I agreed with him. Talking of my family affairs, he said to me, The chief duty of a true mason, as I have told you, lies in perfecting himself. We often think that by removing all the difficulties of our life, we shall more quickly reach our aim. But on the contrary, my dear sir, it is only in the midst of worldly cares that we can attain our three chief aims. 1. Self-knowledge, for man can only know himself by comparison. 2. Self-perfecting, which can only be attained by conflict, and three, the attainment of the chief virtue, love of death. 
Only the vicissitudes of life can show us its vanity and develop our innate love of death or our or of rebirth to a new life. These words are all the most sorry, these words are all the more remarkable because in spite of his great physical sufferings, Joseph Alexevich is never weary of life, though he loves death, for which, in spite of the purity and loftiness of his inner man, he does not yet feel himself sufficiently prepared. My benefactor then explained to me fully the meaning of the great square of creation and pointed out to me that the numbers three and seven are the basis of everything. He advised me not to avoid intercourse with the Petersburg brothers, but to take up only second grade posts in the lodge to try, while diverting the brothers from pride, to turn them towards a true path, self-knowledge and self-perfecting. Besides this, he advised me for myself personally, above all, to keep a watch over myself, and to, and to that end, he gave me a notebook, the one I am now writing in, and in which I will in future note down all my actions. Petersburg, 23rd of November. I am again living with my wife. My mother-in-law came to me in tears and said that Helena was here and that she implored me to hear her, that she was innocent and unhappy at my desertion and much more. I knew that if I once let myself see her, I should not have strength to go on refusing what she wanted. In my perplexity, I did not know whose aid and advice to seek. <clears throat> Excuse me. Had my benefactor been here, he would have told me what to do. I went to my room and reread Joseph Alexevich's letters and recalled my conversations with him and deduced from it all that I ought not to refuse a supplicant and ought to reach a helping hand to everyone, especially to one so closely bound to me and that I must bear my cross. But if I forgive her for the sake of doing right, then let union with her have only a spiritual aim. That is what I decided and what I wrote to Joseph Alexevich. I told my wife that I begged her to forget the past, to forgive me whatever wrong I may have done her, and that I had nothing to forgive. It gave me joy to tell her this. She need not know how hard it was for me to see her again. I have settled on the upper floor of this big house and am experiencing a happy feeling of regeneration. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Pierre. Oh, trying to make amends with Helena. A noble effort. A noble effort. I'll just say that. Does she deserve his forgiveness? No. But it's big of him to offer it. It's big of him to offer it. All right, there you go. There's a chapter for you. Have your say on the subreddit. And I'll see you tomorrow.